Hi, I'm Peter J. Ray. Welcome to Adventures in History. Today, today's topic is John Tyler, uh, part one. John Tyler was the 10th president of the United States of America. He's, he, he became president in April of 1841, uh, served, he was part of the Tippecanoe and Tyler II campaign, vice president of William Henry Harrison, and when Harrison died, only a month into his term, uh, Tyler became president and served for the remaining three years and 11 months of uh, William Henry Harrison's term. So he was president from 18, April of 1841 until March of 1845. John Tyler was an Episcopalian. He went to college at the College of William and Mary in Virginia. He was married twice. Uh, his first wife, Letitia, died when he was president in the White House. And then he remarried while he was president. His second wife's name was Julia. He fathered 16 children, the most of any president, nine from his first wife, Letitia, and seven from Julia. Tyler was the sixth of eight Virginia-born presidents, and Virginia remained his, his home for his, for his entire life. His father was the governor of Virginia, and his father was a, was a friend and college roommate of Thomas Jefferson. John Tyler, Tyler was called the traitor president, for his support of the Confederacy uh, before the Civil War and, and in the early parts of the Civil War until he died. He was also called his accidency because his presidency was, was an accident, you could say, based on the death of William Henry Harrison. John Tyler played a major role in Hawaii and te Texas becoming parts of the United States. He was tall and slender and had a patrician's Roman nose. He was friends with Dolly Madison. Uh, John Tyler was an intellectual. He loved books and had 1,200 books in his library at, at his death. William Shakespeare was his first love, and he, and he loved to quote Shakespeare. He was very interested in geography, discovery, science, and technology. Uh, Tyler was the first vice president to become president after the death of the president. At age 51, he was the youngest president at that time. Uh, strangely, uh, he had no vice president. They, they, didn't, uh, they didn't make that arrangement, so he, he served as president without a vice president. In 2019, uh, Tyler had two living grandsons. So this is just this past year, I think still now. And uh, so he's the earliest uh, president who have living grandchildren. His grandson, Harrison Tyler, maintains the family home at the Sherwood Forest Plantation in Charles City County, Virginia. John Tyler was uh, born on March 29, 1790, in Charles City County, Virginia. Uh, he was the sixth of eight children and the second son. Uh, he was born in the same county as William Henry Harrison, who was his running mate in 1840. Of course, Harrison really had made Ohio his home. Uh, John Tyler's father was a planter, politician, Virginia governor. Uh, the, on the Greenway Plantation. His father was, had some famous friends, including Patrick Henry and James Monroe and Thomas Jefferson. On the family uh, plantation, they grew wheat, corn, and tobacco. John T Tyler developed a love of music, poetry, and literature. 
Tragically, his mother died in 1797 when Tyler was only seven years old, so he lost his mom at a very young age. By, by 1807, uh, Tyler had graduated from the College of William, William and Mary. He was only 17. <laughs> and uh, after college, he studied law with his father. He studied to be a lawyer. He loved, and again, he, he was an intellectual. He loved ancient history and uh, Shakespeare. He loved to quote the bard, Shake, William Shakespeare, especially courting women. At that time, they called the College of William and Mary the alma mater to the nation because of so many uh, uh, power, important uh, people in the early days of American history who had studied there. Same year was uh, John Tyler, well, as a college student. He liked Adam Smith's book, The Wealth of Nations, which is a pro-capitalism book. He memorized passages, which he included in his presidential speeches. By 1809, Tyler was admitted to the Virginia Bar to practice law in Virginia, and he, he worked as a lawyer in the prestigious Richmond law firm headed by the former U.S. Attorney General Edmund Randolph. One notable case, the opposing lawyer in this uh, courtroom case used English law as a legal precedent, and Tyler responded, quote, Our late war was fought in the face of this English authority which sought to make slaves of our seamen and destroy the independence of our country. Sir, this jury will have none of your English authority. Away with it. By 1811, uh, Tyler had been elected to the Virginia legislature, where he served for the next five years. He was very likable. People like John Tyler, good fellow. By 1813, he married Letitia Christian on his 23rd birthday. They had nine children. They were married for 32 years. And that same year, his father died. He inherited the family property and 13 slaves. The War of 1812 was on, and Tyler was captain of the militia uh, for, a, for a brief period of time during the War of 1812. By 1816, he had been elected to the U.S. House of Representatives from Virginia, only 26 years old. He loved playing the violin and writing poetry. He was very impressed as a young fellow with Henry Clay and said this about, about Clay, quote, Had he lived in the time of Pericles, his name would have found a place of high eminence in, in Athenian history. By 1821, Tyler, who had health trouble his, his entire life, he was, having, he was having health trouble and financial problems, and he retired from Congress, returned to his home in Virginia. By 1823, he was back in politics uh, in the Virginia legislature, served for two years there. Now, slavery was an ongoing uh, conflict, which, of course, eventually led to the Civil War. And Tyler, during this time, had this to say about slavery, quote, What enabled New York, Pennsylvania, and other states to adopt the language of universal emancipation? Nothing but the paucity of the number of their slaves. That which would have been criminal in those states not to have done would be an act of political suicide in Georgia or South Carolina to do. Yeah, so the North never had large numbers of slaves, and eventually they did outlaw, each of the states outlawed slavery. However, the South had such large numbers that uh, folks in the South, uh, white folks, European descent folks, who uh, were, were, were scared of the consequences of freeing slaves and slaves seeking revenge and slaves having power uh, over uh, whites in the South. 
1825, John Tyler was elected governor of Virginia, served for two years, and uh, during the, during his time, Thomas Jefferson died, and, and Governor Tyler gave the funeral oration in 1826 for Thomas Jefferson, quote, When the happy era shall arrive for the emancipation of nations, hastened on as it will be by the example of America, shall they not resort to the declaration of our independence as the charter of their rights, and will not its author be hailed as the benefactor of the redeemed? Thomas Jefferson was Tyler, John Tyler's inspiration. By 1827, Tyler had been elected to the U.S. Senate from Virginia and served in that capacity for the next nine years. In 1832, John Tyler said, quote, My imagination has led me to look into the distant future and there to contemplate the greatness of free America. I have beheld her walking on the waves of the mighty deep, carrying along with her tidings of great joy to distant nations. I have seen her overturning the strong places of despotism and restoring to man his long-lost rights. You see, Tyler had a tremendous faith in the United States and America's role, positive role in, in world history and for other countries as well. 1833, uh, uh, now backing up, John, John Tyler had supported uh, President uh, and, or supported Andrew Jackson in the 1828 and 1832 elections. However, there was, uh, again, growing conflict between uh, the southern states and the federal government because of the tariff and slavery. And then they, they, so there was this idea in the South that they, especially the, the tariff law was, uh, was hurting the southern states. They were paying more for imports. It protected northern imports. So they came up with the idea of nullification and that the southern states had the right to nullify federal law. And uh, John Tyler broke with Andrew Jackson over this issue. He supported nullification. He voted with the major senators to censure, censure Andrew Jackson, President Andrew Jackson, for his withdrawal of federal deposits in the bank war. And people took sides in the bank war when Andrew Jackson decided to, to end it. And uh, so anyway, he... Uh, uh, John Tyler wanted up being an opponent of Andrew Jackson. 1835, there was a, the abolition movement was growing stronger and stronger in the North. Folks fighting to end slavery. There was a backlash against the abolitionist movement in the North and the South. It was more violent in the North. Uh, abolitionist speakers were verbally harassed and pelted with eggs and rocks, threatened with bodily harm. In October of 1835, mobs in Boston dragged William Lloyd Garrison through the streets with a rope around his neck. Garrison was a strong abolitionist supporter. In 1836, uh, John Tyler was pressured to vote to expunge, expunge the censure of Andrew Jackson. By the, he was pressured by the Virginia legislature who supported that. However, he refused and then he re ended up resigning from the Senate, and uh, strangely enough, uh, he became the Whig candidate for vice president in 1836 and did well in the election. Again, slavery was growing more and more controversial. John Tyler owned several hundred slaves. Lydia Maria Child wrote this about the black slaves in Washington, D.C., quote, Whole coffles of them, chained and manacled, are driven through our capital on their way to auction. 
foreigners, particularly those who come here with enthusiastic ideas of American freedom, are amazed and disgusted by the sight. A troop of slaves once passed through Washington on the 4th of July while drums were beating and standards flying. One of the captive Negroes raised his hand, loaded with irons, and waved it toward the starry flag and sang with a smile of bitter irony, Hail Columbia, happy land. John Tyler never freed any any of his slaves. To do so would have been political suicide. By 1838, Tyler had been elected to the Virginia legislature, and he was elected as a Whig. By this time, he had switched parties. The issue, his severe conflict with President Andrew Jackson, led him to leaving the Democratic Party and joining the Whig Party. 1840, he was picked as the vice presidential uh, running mate for William Henry Harrison by the Whig Party. So it was William Henry Harrison and John Tyler. Of course, uh, Harrison's uh, nickname was Tippy Canoe, and the campaign slogan was Tippy Canoe and Tyler, too. There were plenty of songs, a really fun campaign. One of the lyrics from uh, from a campaign song went like this, quote, We shall vote for Tyler, therefore... Without a why or wherefore. <clears throat> John Tyler was elected vice president in the, in the 1840 election along with uh, his, his running mate, William Henry Harrison. They, 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 they won the election. Although uh, Martin Van Buren won Virginia, so Tyler wasn't able to help Harrison carry his home state. Uh, Richmond, uh, the Richmond Inquirer newspaper recorded, quote, the Goths may have taken Rome, but the citadel was saved. So the, uh, anyway, the Tippecanoe and Tyler, too. So by March of 1841, uh, William Henry Harrison was inaugurated, and John Tyler didn't believe he had anything to do as vice president, so he had gone home to his home in Williamsburg when he learned about the death of William, President Harrison in April of 1841. So he traveled to Washington because uh, he, was, uh, he, was, he was going to assume the presidency as the vice president, and he was determined that he would not be a weak president. He, was being, he faced immediate pressure uh, by his cabinet, well, the cabinet of Harrison that he had inherited, where they, he was told that uh, the decisions would be made by a, ma- a majority vote of the cabinet. And, and he said, no, that's not how it's going to be. He said, quote, I can never consent to being dictated to. So he said, well, I'm going to make decisions. You guys can give me advice. But he would not accept that idea. That He was being pressured to be a weak, weak president by Henry Clay. One historian wrote, quote, John Tyler's whole course of conduct in the first few days after he arrived in the Capitol demonstrated plainly that he acted with conscious deliberation to establish himself as a president in his own right and not as a mere caretaker for the departed Harrison. April 6, 1841, John Tyler became the 10th U.S. president. Again, he finished the term, almost the entire term, three years and 11 months of William Henry Harrison's term. Tyler was sworn in at Brown's Hotel in Washington on 6th Street and Pennsylvania Avenue two days after President Harrison's death. And there was some confusion. Some called him the acting presidency. And then he was being, there were people who mocked him, called him his accidency. 
And uh, now he returned mail that's to him that, 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 that was written, the acting president, because he affirmed that he was the president, not just the acting president, not some type of lesser president or weaker. Now, this led to immediate conflict with the Whig Party, and he was disowned by the Whig Party. So he became a, he, he was kicked out of the Whig Party, and the president had no political party. John Tyler had this to say about the presidency. He called it, quote, a bed of thorns, which has afforded me no repose. At his first cabinet meeting, he said this, quote, I am very glad to have in my cabinet such able statesmen as you, but I can never consent to being dictated to as to what I shall or shall not do. I am the president. When you think otherwise, your resignation will be accepted. One of his friends had this to say about John Tyler, quote, When he thinks he is right, he is, he is obstinate as a bull, and no power on earth can move him. John Tyler established that upon the death of the president, the vice president becomes the president. Now, the Constitution was ambiguous, and uh, it was only in the, the 25th Amendment, which was passed in 19... So the Constitution was passed in 1967, which clarified the issue. Of course, and there were a number of before there before before that a number of presidents died in office, including Abraham Lincoln, uh, um, James A. Garfield, William McKinley, and so forth. And so, and then in in those cases, the vice president became the president. They were they were following. The, Tyler set the. This was the first time this had happened, and he he established the precedent that the vice president would become the president with full power, be a regular president. Now, after the death of Harrison, backing up a little bit, there was, it was a 230-mile trip from Williamsburg to Washington, and he got there in 21 hours, which was fast for that time. He took a steamboat on the James River to, to Richmond, Virginia, and then a train to Washington. Upon becoming president, uh, early in his presidency, John Tyler said, quote, the death of our late patriotic president, while it has devolved upon me the high office of President of the United States, has occasioned me the deepest pain and anxiety. I am under providence made the instrument of a new test, which is, which is for the first time to be, to be applied to our institutions. The experiment is to be made at the moment when the country is agitated by conflicting views of public policy and when the spirit of faction is most likely to exist. Under these circumstances, the devolvement upon me of this high office is peculiar, peculiarly embarrassing. 1841, John, President John Tyler said this, quote, The Constitution never designed that the executive should be a mere cipher. And this is what the Whigs wanted, and especially Henry Clay wanted to be the real power. And he wanted to dominate. He, had, he was expecting to dominate William Henry Harrison, although he had immediate conflict with Harrison. Now he wanted to do the same thing with, uh, with Tyler because Clay felt like he, was the, the, he wanted to be the power. And Tyler said no. Um, they had this meeting in the White House between President Tyler and Henry Clay and a, a major conflict. And Tyler said, quote, Go you now then, Mr. Clay, to your end of the avenue talking about Pennsylvania Avenue between the White House and the Capitol. Go you now, Mr. Clay, to your end of the avenue, where stands the Capitol, and there perform your duty to your country, as you shall think proper. So help me God, I shall do mine at this end as I see fit. 
So Major, he stood up to Henry Clay and said, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be your puppet. After being scolded by President Tyler, Silas Wright wrote about Henry Clay, quote, Henry Clay is unhappy and much more imperious and arrogant with his friends than I ever knew him, and that, you know, is saying a great deal. John Tyler brought some of his slaves to the White House, and northern visitors were shocked that the White House, Liberty's showcase, uh, when they came there, they were greeted by John Tyler's slave butler. Now, there were stories that uh, Tyler was accused of fathering children with slaves and then selling his children. Those are unconfirmed. Uh, Some black Americans today in Virginia believe they are descendants of John Tyler. During this time, Great Britain had uh, come out against slavery. Backing up during the American Revolution, the British recruited slaves for the British Army. They had the Ethiopian Regiment, and on their uniforms was the slogan, Liberty to Slaves. In the South, the abolition movement was seen as promoting slave rebellion, which was their biggest fear that the slaves would rise up and kill European descent Americans in the South. August of 1841, at 2 a.m., August 18th, there was a drunken mob at the White House, blowing horns, throwing rocks at the White House, firing guns, and they they burned a scarecrow effigy of John Tyler because he had had vetoed the establishment of the U.S. Bank. And, of course, this mob had been organized by his political enemies, particularly those in the Whig Party and Henry Clay. September of 1841, his entire cabinet, except for Secretary of State Daniel Webster, resigned because of uh, Tyler had voted, uh, vetoed the establishment of a national bank. He was expelled from the Whig Party. So Tyler, President Tyler was a president without a party. November of that year, there was a ship named the Creole. It was transporting slaves from Virginia to New Orleans, and the slaves mutinied and took over the ship and sailed the ship to Nassau, Bahamas, off the coast of Florida, where they, they became free. They were, at that time, the Bahamas was a British territory, and the British had outlawed slavery. So these slaves became free in the Bahamas, where they ended up living. And this, the news of this traveled, yeah, traveled through in the U.S. American slaves were very excited. They thought, wow, if you can travel to a British territory, they, they could become free. The news spread like a contagion. The Creole Slave Rebellion was the most successful uh, slave rebellion, and of course with British help. There was a lot of anger in the South among European descent Americans. They wanted the slaves returned, and they wanted, they wanted compensation, but, and then President Tyler was blamed for this situation. 1841, uh, uh, the, the country of Haiti and the Caribbean, the, the western third of the island of Hispaniola was an independent country. And it was ruled by uh, African descent Haitians. Haiti had been Saint-Domain, French Saint-Domain, a French colony. And these slaves had revolted and become an independent country and driven out the French or the French either were killed or, or left. So Haiti was this independent country. Thomas Hart Benton wrote this about Haiti in 1841, quote, We trade with her, but no diplomatic relations have been established between us. We purchase coffee from her and pay her for it, but we exchange no consuls or ministers. 
We received no mulatto, mulatto consuls or black ambassadors from her. Why does the United States refuse to recognize Haiti? Because the peace of 11 states to this union will not permit the fruits of a successful Negro insurrection to be exhibited among them. It will not permit black consuls and ambassadors to establish themselves in our cities and to parade through our country and give their fellow blacks in the United States proof in hand of the honors which await them for a like successful effort on their part. It will not permit the fact to be seen and told that from the murders of their masters and mistresses, they are to find friends among the white people of the United States. And the growing conflict over slavery. Henry Clay uh, said that the Democrats would the Democrats would give John Tyler, President Tyler, quote, lodgings in some outhouse, but they will never trust him. He will stand there like Benedict Arnold in England, a monument of his perfidy and disgrace. Like uh, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, and James Monroe, John Tyler believed in U.S. territorial expansion for union and prosperity, and he was interested in Texas joining the United States. One of his accomplishments, uh, John T- President Tyler promoted a strong U.S. Navy. His sec- the Secretary of, Na- of the Navy was Abel Upshur, and Tyler believed that the, a strong U.S. Navy was important for American security and to extend American power in the Pacific Ocean. He believed there was a need for, for, for a naval bases in the Pacific area, especially Hawaii. And during this time, he was working to convert the U.S. Navy from sail to steam power and establish a naval academy. 1841, President Tyler said, quote, We hold out to the people of other countries an invitation to come and settle among us as members of our rapidly growing family. And for the blessings which we offer them, we require of them to look upon our country as their country and to unite with us in the great task of preserving our institutions and thereby perpetuating our liberties. Charles Dickens was a visitor to Washington in 1841, the famous author of books like David Copperfield and uh, A Tale of Two Cities, and Oliver Twist, and he's, he had this to say about President Tyler, quote, He looked somewhat worn and anxious, and well he might, being at war with everybody. Yeah, John Tyler had been uh, switched parties from the Democrats to the Whigs and kicked out of the Whig Party. In 1841, John President Tyler signed the Log Cabin Bill. An American settler could claim 160 acres of land before public sale and later pay $1.25 per acre. December 7, 1841, President Tyler sent his first message to Congress, quote, The United States cannot but take a deep interest in whatever relates to this young but growing Republic of Texas. Texas was an independent country at that time. It fought a war of independence against Mexico. Settled principally by emigrants from the United States, we have the happiness to know that the great principles of civil liberty are there destined to flourish under wise institutions and wholesome laws, and that through its example another evidence is to be afforded of the capacity of popular institutions to advance the prosperity, happiness, and permanent glory of the human race. The great truth that government was made for the people and not the people for the government has already been established in the practice and by the example of these United States. 
and we can do no other than contemplate its further exemplification by a sister republic with the deepest interest. 1832, President Tyler signed a treaty with Great Britain which resolved the uh, main United States and Canada border, so the border between the U.S. and Canada at Maine. They finally worked that out. This is a, he were, Tyler put a lot into this, and he did a lot. It was a big achievement. By 1842, there were 12,000 ex-American slaves living in Canada, especially the, the fugitives. Well, they were eventually the fugitive slave law was passed. They felt they, they had left the South and traveled North and, and were living in Canada. 1842, in January, his daughter Elizabeth got married. In September, his wife Letitia died. She'd been uh, in poor health and disabled since a stroke in 1839. She died at age 51. She never was able to serve as first lady because of her poor health. In May of that year, John C. Fremont, also known as the Pathfinder, was exploring in the Rocky Mountains. Also, 1842, there was big excitement because Charles Wilkes was leading the U.S. exploring expedition in the Pacific Ocean. He explored Polynesia, Melanesia, and discovered Antarctica. Wilkes made detailed maps of the Pacific Islands, which were used in the Second World War. Really something. He mapped 800 miles of the Pacific coast of the U.S. in North America, including California and Oregon. He acquired many objects and artifacts, which became the core collection for the Smithsonian Institute. Really something. There was economic and religious uh, forces pressuring John Tyler, President Tyler, for a U.S. presence in Hawaii. The first American missionaries had come to Hawaii in 1819. It was called the Sandwich Islands at that time. Now there was this distinct possibility that it could become a French territory. It was still, in, it was still independent. And the, the king of Hawaii, King Kamehameha III, wanted recognition of its independence. It wanted to preserve its independence. The other three countries were competing to take Hawaii, the U.S., U.K., and France. In 1842, Temoteo Halililio and William Richards were on a diplomatic mission from Hawaii to Washington, hoping for recognition of Hawaiian independence. Timoteo Halilitlio was a dark-skinned Hawaiian, and he became a popular celebrity in Washington, and met, he met with President Tyler. The United States recognized Hawaiian independence, but claimed, claimed it as an Amer- part of the American sphere of influence. President Tyler also, during this time, was promoting a diplomatic mission to China. And Daniel Webster got involved in that. Now, backing up, John, John Quincy Adams, who was former president, was still very active and was in Congress, and he supported uh, John President Tyler's Pacific agenda. Now, the British took over Hawaii in February of 1843. This was a disaster. They had taken New Zealand in 1841. The U.S. protested the British takeover of, uh, of, of Hawaii, and, and then because they, they said, well, we, need, we really need Hawaii as a stopover on crossing the Pacific Ocean for trade. And the British left Hawaii in July of 1843. So there's a lot of relief because of that. Well, that concludes today's presentation. We'll continue next time with 
John Tyler Part 2. You might consider checking out our website, Adventures in History with Peter J. Ray at peterjray.com. So far, we've made 580 history videos in seven areas. World history, American history, book reviews, poetic tours, Cleveland baseball, family history, and autobiography. You also might consider checking out our podcast, Adventures in History, which you can listen to on Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and Radio Public. Thank you so much for watching. I really appreciate it. God bless you. Take care. And I'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Peter J. Ray. Welcome to Adventures in History. Today's topic is John Tyler, Part 2. John Tyler was the 10th U.S. President. We stopped last time in 1842. He was, uh, he was into his second year as president. He had assumed the presidency upon the death of William Henry Harrison, only a month into Harrison's term. And Tyler was the vice president, so he became the president. 1842, the United States economy was really booming with the early years, early decades of the Industrial Revolution, plus a lot of agricultural surplus. And uh, there was a sense that the United States needed to trade with Asia to dispose of its surplus goods. So President Tyler prepared a mission to China, hoping, hoping to open, open trade with that country. And he had a number of gifts uh, that went with that mission, including pistols, rifles, a telescope, a steamship model, an atlas, a globe, a book of American history, and a biography of George Washington. The leader of the mission was Caleb, Caleb Cushing. That same year, there was the dedication of the Bunker Hill Monument in the Boston area. The U.S. mission to China left in August of 1843. There were four ships of the U.S. Navy uh, with a total of 200 guns, or, you know, would appear to be cannons. They arrived in China in February of 1844, and a treaty with China was signed in July, a trade treaty. This was a major accomplishment by President John Tyler. In 1843, in May, there were a thousand settlers uh, who traveled from Missouri to Oregon. So Oregon was, was, people were moving in there. In July of 1843, the Mormon leader, Joseph Smith, declared polygamy divine. Now, this led to a major conflict. Polygamy, polygamy meaning uh, men could have more than one wife. Now, the actually, the, uh, the the good side of that is that this was a way to uh, take care of, uh, of widows, actually, sort of a social security for widows. But anyway, it, con it was a major conflict with American culture, which, which, which forbid polygamy. One man, one wife. In August of 1843, was the, uh, President Tyler was able to end the Second Seminole War in Florida. Also in August, uh, Mexican President Santa Ana sent a message to the United States that if the U.S. annexed Texa, Texas, it would mean war with Mexico. Texas became uh, President John Tyler's top priority Tex in 1843. Texas had be become independent in 1836 of Mexico, fought a war of independence for, so for seven years. It was an independent country, and the Texans wanted to be part of the United States. Tyler had a strong desire to, uh, for Texas to join the Union. However, the major obstacle was northern opposition because of slavery, that the annexation of Texas would add another slave state. So President Tyler believed he needed to work to change public opinion uh, to favor Texas annexation. Now, there was a possibility that Texas would become British 
the, since, since uh, as time was passing and the Texans were getting impatient with, with America, the United States not, not accepting them in the country. May of 1843, uh, Daniel Webster, the Secretary of State, was pressured to resign because he was against uh, annexation of Texas. Uh, in that year, President Tyler traveled to Baltimore, Philadelphia, Princeton, New York City, Providence, and Boston. Uh, regarding Texas joining the United States, uh, historian Joel H. Sibley wrote about President Tyler, quote, It was the accidental president who unexpected, unexpectedly took up what appeared to be a moribund political matter and succeeded in moving it to the center of the nation's attention. During this trip he took, uh, there was a big welcome for President Tyler in New York City. His daughter-in-law, Priscilla Cooper Tyler, wrote, quote, I never saw so magnificent a spectacle in my life. All the other cities had done their best, but none have the number of inhabitants or the natural advantages of New York. The president had really showers of bouquets and wreaths thrown upon him everywhere. Windows of the houses have been filled with the most beautiful women waving their handkerchiefs and casting flowers in his path. Now, uh, he uh, arrived in Boston, which was the center of the abolitionist movement, the movement to end slavery. In June of 1843, he was there uh, for the Bunker Hill Memorial. You know, Bunker Hill was a famous battle in the American Revolution. John Quincy Adams, the former president, had this to say about John Tyler and the Bunker Hill Memorial dedication, quote, What a name in the annals of mankind is Bunker Hill. What a day was the 17th of June, 1775. And what a burlesque on them both is an oration upon them by Daniel Webster and a pilgrimage of John Tyler and his cabinet of slave drivers to desecrate the solemnity by their presence. A dinner at Faneuil, Faneuil Hall in honor of a president of the United States, hated and despised by those who invited him to it, themselves as cordially hated and despised by him. You know, interesting situation. Tyler owned slaves, and the Bostonians were against slavery, so this was part of politics. June of 1843, uh, Hugh Laguerre, the Attorney General, an interim secretary of state died unexpectedly at age 46. This was a, he was a close confidant of President Tyler, and Tyler was devastated by his death. John Tyler had this to say about Ligar. He called him one of the republic's, quote, purest and noblest sons. His well-stored mind, which, which had shed broad light over the country on so many occasions, was now extinguished. That calm and unimpassioned friend on whose counsel I had leaned in so much confidence and by whom I was never deceived was stricken from my side. After the death of Lagar, the rest of the trip was canceled. They were planning to go to Albany, Buffalo, and Points West, but he returned to Washington. President Tyler returned to Washington. Abel Upshur was the new Secretary of State. Again, the uh, big issue was the possible annexation of Texas. Another issue was the Oregon border with Great Britain and Canada. And uh, Mexico, again, was threatening war if the U.S. annexed Texas. The Texans were wary about being spurned by the United States again. You know, they had tried, they, they made it clear they wanted to join. And the U.S., so far, there wasn't enough support. Uh, to, there was, and there was a lot of opposition. So the U.S., so far, seven years, had not accepted Texas. 
In February of 1844, a treaty with Texas was reached in which Texans would become U.S. citizens and Texas would become part of the U.S. and the U.S. would assume the Texas public debt. So this was a step forward in that process. February of 1844, February 28th, uh, there was a uh, pleasure cruise on the Potomac River, the naval gunship, the Princeton. And there were many VIPs on the, on the boat for this trip. Secretary of State Abel Upshur, President John Tyler, three guests, again, many VIPs. Uh, President Tyler, who was a widow, his wife had died, he was courting Julia Gardner, the, the, daughter, of the uh, daughter of a U.S. senator. She was called the Belle of Long Island. And now they had a big banquet below deck with champagne toasts. As the ship passed Mount Vernon, they fired a gun in honor of George Washington. And by that time, some of the guests had gone up on top to watch this, and some were still below deck. And uh, tragically, there, that, the gun exploded when it was fired. And a number of people died, including Abel Upshur, Secretary of State, uh, Thomas Gilmer, David Gardner, this U.S. Senator, Virgil Maxey, a diplomat, Commodore Beverly Kennan, two seamen, and Henry, John Tyler's slave servant. So this was a, a horrific a tragedy, the explosion of, this, of, the, of the Princeton on the Potomac River, killing Senator David Gardner, Secretary of State uh, Abel Upshur, the Secretary of the Navy, Thomas Gilmore, so some very important people. Uh, President Tyler carried Gardner's daughter, Julia, off the ship, daughter of the, daughter of the senator. And uh, this was, a, was in February of 1844. In June, four months later, President Tyler married Julia. So they, this, this uh, disaster brought the two together. Uh, President Tyler lost some very important people to him politically, and Julia, of course, lost her father. So President Tyler remarried. He was 54 years old, and Julia was 24, 30-year age difference. And Julia had this to say about marrying John Tyler, quote, Wit, I prefer to youth. So she was saying, you know, she thought he was a funny guy. Uh, John Tyler was the first of three presidents to be married in office. The other two were Grover Cleveland and Woodrow Wilson. Their wedding, the wedding of John Tyler and uh, Julia Gardner, was held at, in Manhattan, New York City, at the Church of the Ascension in, uh, in New York. Gary, historian Gary May wrote, quote, Washington had never quite seen anyone like Julia Gardner Tyler. Besides being the youngest first lady in history, she was also the most glamorous and extravagant. Julia, now the new first lady, she introduced the polka dance step at the White House. It had been considered racy. It was considered not a, not a proper dance. And John Tyler had forbidden his daughters from dancing it. Historian Margaret Truman wrote, quote, But he did not so much as peep when the first lady pranced across the East Room in the arms of one ambassador after another. The dance soon became the national rage, the polka. Wonderful dance step. Now, back to that uh, tragedy on the ship where all these... Uh, President Tyler lost some very important people to him. Tyler wrote, quote, A more heart-rending scene scarcely ever occurred. What a loss I have sustained in Upshur and Gilmer. They were truly my friends and would have aided me for the next 12 months with effect. 
Yeah, this was, Abel Upshur was the Secretary of State, and Thomas Gilmore was the Secretary of the Navy. Both were important, so this is a horrific loss. The wedding of Tyler and Julia was called a May-December wedding. They had a very happy marriage. Um, uh, now, that, again, back to the deaths of these fellows. It was, this was devastating to Tyler's plans for the annexation of, of, of Texas. Both Abel Upshur and Thomas Gilmer were expected to play important roles and had been playing important roles in that. This was a catastrophe, that, that, that uh, explosion. John C. Calhoun was offered the position of new Secretary of State, and he accepted. In April, a treaty of the, the Treaty of Annexation of Texas was signed. Uh, Texas wanted military protection against Mexico. They were vulnerable. They were worried about the Mexicans coming. So President Tyler ordered the deployment of a large number of American soldiers to Fort Jessup, Louisiana, nearby. Some felt the United States was already too big and that adding Texas would make the country was already too big. President Tyler wrote, quote, From this I am free to confess, I see no danger. The federative system is susceptible of the greatest extension, compatible with the ability of the representation of the most distant state or territory to reach the seat of government. Addition of new states has served to strengthen rather than to weaken the Union. And the abolitionists were against this. Uh, they saw this uh, as an extension of slavery, more, another slave state, and possible war with Mexico. So in June of 1844, the Senate rejected the, ten, the Texas Treaty. So it was, not, it was not approved, did not become law. 1844 was a presidential election year. The Whigs nominated Henry Clay and the Democrats James K. Polk. Um, now, as his term was coming to an end, Tyler's strategy was to annex Texas through a congressional joint resolution. So he worked on that. Again, during his time in president, as president, the Whig Party wanted a weak president and a powerful Congress. However, John Tyler was assertive. He'd been kicked out of the Whig Party, and he was denied the party's nomination for president. So he, in, in the election, Tyler ended up supporting Polk, who had favored, publicly favored, the annexation of Texas. There was a 79% voter turnout, and James K. Polk, the Democrat, won and was elected the 11th U.S. president and defeated Henry Clay, the Whig, nom, the Whig uh, candidate. After the election, uh, First Lady Julia Tyler said, quote, Hurrah for Polk! What will become of Henry Clay and of the downfall of our Whig friends? We shall have a very pleasant winter here, I can, I can now promise. Julia was uh, first lady for eight months, and she uh, was a, actually a big help for President Tyler. She enthusiastically lobbied for the Texas annexation. She had a lot of uh, get-togethers, entertained a lot, receptions and dinners, which are an important part of politics. And Julia started the tradition of having the music Hail to the Chief played when the president would arrive at an official function. She was very popular. Uh, again, Polk was, uh, had come out in favor. He'd taken a, taken a stand that he was in favor of annex, the annexation of Texas. And President Tyler believed that the election of Polk was a mandate. that the, It meant the public wanted Texas to join the Union. 
1844, in May, the first telegraph line was laid between Washington, D.C. and Baltimore, the early days of the communications revolution. In June of 1844, the Mormon leader Joseph Smith was murdered by a mob in Carthage, Illinois. And this was connect, partly connected to pol- their practice of polygamy, and this led to the Mormons moving to Utah, Salt Lake City. December of 1844, the House rescinded the slavery gag rule when it, had, it was forbidden to talk about slavery in, in, the, in the House. December of 1844, the China Treaty arrived, and John Tyler was exultant. His, his, it had been signed by the Chinese. His wife, Julia, First Lady Julia Tyler, said, quote, The China Treaty is accomplished. Hurrah! The documents came in today and will be sent to the Capitol in a few days. I thought the president would go off in an ecstasy a minute ago with the pleasant news. The treaty confirmed the right to trade with China, maintain hospitals and churches there in port cities, and it led to massive trade with China. And, and this, so John Tyler opened the door to China. This was a major accomplishment of his time in, in the White House. Julia's entertainments... First Lady Julia Tyler, her her entertainments in the White House the first three months of the year with congressmen helped get the Texas admission in a joint resolution accomplished. She had a big, one of her parties was, big party had a thousand candles used for the huge chandeliers in the East Room. And John Tyler gave gave Julia, his wife, the gold pen he used to sign the annexation bill. She wore it on a necklace. February of 1845, this is near the very end of John Tyler's administration, Congress passed a joint resolution to annex annex Texas, which had been submitted by President John Tyler. So this was a major accomplishment of him, that, 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 that Texas was going to join the Union. In March, near his last day in office, Florida was admitted as as the 27th U.S. state to the Union, a slave state. In February, there was a huge ball at the White House, a big party. The crowds mobbed the White House East Room, and John Tyler said, quote, They cannot say now that I am a president without a party. <laughs> March 3rd, President John Tyler said, quote, The day has come when a man can feel proud to be an American citizen. He can stand on the northeastern boundary or on the shores of the Rio Grande del Norte, and contemplate the extent of our vast and growing republic, the boundaries of which have been settled and extended by peaceful negotiations. The acquisition of Texas is a measure of the greatest importance. Our children's children will live to realize the vast benefits conferred on our country by the union of Texas with with this republic. So he, March of 1845, uh, James K. Polk became the new president and John Tyler went home He returned to his Virginia farm and home, which he renamed Sherwood Forest, reference to Robin Hood. Like Robin Hood, he'd been outlawed because he'd been kicked out of both parties, or left both parties, left the Democrats, kicked out of the Whig Party. His home, Sherwood Forest, on the James River, he grew wheat, corn, grain, and and raised and grew fruit. Texans were grateful to John Tyler for uh, his efforts in Texas joining the Union. He played a major role in that happening. Uh, he became a, during this time he became an elder statesman. He had a strong faith in the United States national destiny of power and greatness. 
July of 1845, Texas accepted the terms of admission to the U.S. And in 1846, Texas officially entered the Union. Popular slogan for this time was, Westward the course of empire, as the country continued to expand west. And uh, James K. Polk also shared John Tyler's westward expansion vision. So after he got home, his, his neighbors in Virginia, mostly Whigs, in an effort to mock him, they had Tyler appointed the overseer of roads for in, the, in their area. Uh, to their displeasure, he took the job seriously, summoned his neighbor's slaves to do road work, and insisted on carrying on his duties even after his, the neighbors asked him to stop. He also spoke at, at the unveiling of a monument for Henry Clay. He acknowledged their political battles and conflict, but spoke highly of his former colleague. So respect for the noble opponent. 1848 uh, into 1849 was the California gold rush, the discovery of gold in California. Lots of folks going to California for that. And he was a big supporter of, of that movement. Also in, 18, in 1850, he supported the Compromise of 1850, in which the Fugitive Slave Law was passed. More conflict over slavery. He also supported Louis Kosuth, who was leading a, 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 an independence movement in Hungary against Austria. 1857, John Tyler gave a speech at Jamestown, Virginia, the 250th anniversary of the first English settlement in America. May 13th, he said, quote, A small body of men planted on this spot the seed of a mighty empire. John Tyler hoped to be the Democratic Party nominee for president in 1860. He was not considered. Abraham Lincoln was elected as the Republican nominee. Uh, Tyler was gloomy. He believed that, uh, that uh, Lincoln was going to, going to work to end slavery and start a race war. By 1861, on the eve of, of Abraham Lincoln's inauguration, there was uh, southern states had already seceded, and it was the country was headed towards civil war. John Tyler, at that time, was the president of a peace conference early in 1861 in Washington, D.C. Delegates from each state came trying to prevent civil war, and they, they failed in that. So the, 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 the secession of the Confederacy continued, uh, continued the southern states who left the Union, and John Tyler supported the Confederacy. This is why he got the nickname the Traitor President. He supported that. Of course, he was the only uh, former uh, president living in the South. So it was pretty hard not to. In November, Tyler was elected as a Virginia representative in the Confederate Congress. 1861, Tyler, with his 19-year-old granddaughter, Letitia Tyler, who had been born in the White House, they raised the new Confederate flag, the Stars and Bars, in the, at the capital of the Confederacy at, at that time, Montgomery, Alabama. Tyler, again, was in favor of the secession of Virginia. He mocked an opponent of secession and said that he, this, this person would be, find himself, quote, down by the side of Fred Douglas in the Senate of the United States, cheek by jowl, and in fellowship with him as his fellow citizen. Frederick Douglas, of course, was the famous uh, slave who escaped and traveled north and become a, a citizen of Massachusetts and was uh, fighting to end slavery. 1861, Tyler wrote a letter to his wife, Julia, and he said, quote, 
Well, my dearest one, Virginia has severed her connection with the northern hive of abolitionists and takes her stand as a sovereign and independent state. Do, dearest, live as frugally as possible in the household. Trying times are before us. Well, that was a real prophecy because the Civil War was beginning and there were, there were hard, hard times for everyone as a result. John Tyler uh, helped move the capital of the Confederacy from Montgomery, Alabama to Richmond, Virginia, which meant the capitals of these two countries at war. You know, the, the, South, the South had become an independent country, at least during the war. Washington and Richmond were not, weren't far from each other. John Tyler enjoyed the early victories for the Confederacy in the Civil War, like Manassas and Bull Run in Virginia. His son, Robert Tyler, was in danger. He was living in Philadelphia. And he was, and this this was tough because he was in favor of slavery. He faced uh, arrest for treason and possible lynching. So his son Robert and family fled for their lives and returned home to Sherwood Forest, the home in, in Virginia. And this was dangerous. Uh, their home was in a, vulnerable because there were Union gunboats on the James River. The Union troops took over the Tyler summer home via Margaret near Hampton, Virginia, and destroyed the interior during the war. John Tyler died on January 18, 1862, in Richmond, Virginia, at age 71. He, he died before serving in the Confederate States of America Congress a few hours after midnight in his hotel room. The U.S. government took no official notice of his death. This is the only time a former president has been, former president's death has been ignored by the government. Abraham Lincoln didn't know what to do because, well, Tyler was, how can you honor a man? He felt he couldn't honor a man who was supporting uh, rebellion and the breakup of the Union and with, and with whom the country was at war with. He, John Tyler, he was in a, staying in a hotel in Richmond. He collapsed in the dining room. Doctor diagnosed bronchitis and liver function. In the middle of the night, he had difficulty breathing. Throughout his life, John Tyler suffered poor health. As he aged, he suffered more frequently from colds in the winter. On January 12, 1862, he had chills and dizziness. He vomited and collapsed in his hotel in Richmond. On January 17th of 62, at, at night, he planned to return home to Sherwood Forest to, uh, to recover. During the night, he was suffocating, and a doc, his, Julia called a doctor. Tyler sipped some brandy, and he said, he said, quote, Doctor, I am going. The doctor said, I hope not, sir. And then Tyler said, perhaps it is best. And then he died. It's believed he died of a stroke. So that was the end of the life, life of John Tyler. His body lay in state at the Confederate con Congress, and a Confederate flag uh, was placed on his casket, the only American president that did not have a U.S. flag on his casket. Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederacy, was among the rebel dignitaries which accompanied the cor funeral cortege to the cemetery, the Hollywood Cemetery, and he was buried near the James Monroe tomb. Gary May, historian, wrote, quote, Honored by the South, condemned by the North, in death as in life, John Tyler remained a controversial figure. During the Civil War, his family was divided. Julia's brother, David, was a strong Union supporter. During the war, Virginia broke into two. West Virginia broke out, uh, split away from Virginia because it was pro-Union. 
At the end of the war, the Civil War, half of the military-aged men in the South had died. The Southern economy was destroyed. Now, after her husband's death, Julia traveled north to live with her mother on Staten Island. Uh, there were hard, she had hard times. Their home at Sherwood Forest was looted and destroyed by Union soldiers. Tyler was considered a traitor. After the war, Julia returned to Sherwood Forest, which had been ravaged, and he, she, she lived there and kept it during Reconstruction. She raised and educated her seven children and got many of them government jobs. Julia Tyler waged a five-year campaign for a, for a pension for herself and the widows of presidents. In 1898, <coughs> President William McKinley used the John Tyler precedent and had a joint resolution of Congress uh, uh, passed to, to annex Hawaii. 1915, Congress erected a monument to John Tyler at his final resting place, the Hollywood Cemetery in Richmond, Virginia, where he's buried near James Monroe. So they finally, years later, you know, some more than 50 years later, they, that, that finally was accomplished. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt, he was a U.S. president uh, in the early part of the 20th century, said, quote, John Tyler has been called a mediocre man, but this is unwarranted flattery. He was a politician of monumental littleness. And there's a lot, been a lot of criticism of Tyler back during his time and since. Harry Truman, who was, a, who was president in the U.S. in the late 40s into the 50s, said, quote, No one can charge John Tyler with a lack of courage. He resigned from the Senate because he did not agree with Andrew Jackson. But I can never forgive him for leaving his party to join the Whigs or for leaving the Union in 1861. Historian Edward Crapple wrote, quote, Other biographers and historians have argued that John Tyler was a hapless and inept chief executive whose presidency was seriously flawed. In 2017, a C-SPAN survey, survey of historians, John Tyler was ranked 39th of the 43 presidents at that time, so near the bottom. Robert Seeger uh, wrote that, uh, historian wrote that John Tyler was among the most obscure presidents, really a very forgotten. Seeger wrote, quote, His countrymen generally remember him, if they have heard of him at all, as the rhyming end of a catchy campaign slogan. Tippy Canoe and Tyler too. Edward Crapple wrote, quote, John Tyler was a stronger and more effective president than generally remembered. Robert Seeger wrote, quote, I find John Tyler to be a courageous, principled man, a fair and honest fighter for his beliefs. He was a president without a party. Gary May wrote, quote, the mild-mannered gentleman from Virginia, scorned by his contemporaries, neglected by today's historians, and forgotten by his countrymen, deserves to be remembered and re-examined. There is much to be learned from his tumultuous presidency. A friend of Tyler said this, quote, In his official intercourse with all men, high and low, he was approachable, courteous, always willing to do a kindly action. For these two videos, I read two biographies of John Tyler. The first was John Tyler, the Accidental President by Edward P. Crapple, 2006, and John Tyler by Gary May, 2008. So in conclusion, in my, in my opinion, uh, John Tyler accomplished a lot and deserves respect for his accomplishments. 
course, he was a part of the amazing 1840 campaign, the, mo the, the most fun campaign in American history, Tippecanoe and Tyler, too. He played a major role in Texas and Hawaii, becoming parts of the United States. He opened trade with China, which was a very important step for the, for the economy. Uh, he did a lot to modernize the U.S. Navy and worked for the uh, a naval presence in the, in the Pacific Ocean. He settled the border with, between Maine and Canada, which was uh, another uh, major accomplishment. Of course, he did support the Confederacy during the Civil War, but a lot of good men in the South uh, did the same because they felt they had to. God bless John Tyler, a man who served his country well. Well, that concludes today's presentation. I hope you have a good history book to read or you, or you find one. There's so many amazing history books that have been written. You might consider checking out our website, Adventures in History with Peter J. Ray at peterjray.com. So, so far, we've made 581 history videos in seven areas. World history, American history, book reviews, poetic tours, Cleveland baseball, family history, and autobiography. You also might consider checking out our podcast, Adventures in History, which you can listen to on Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and Radio Public. Thank you so much for watching. I really appreciate it. God bless you. Take care. And I'll see you next time.